Diane, it's 4.52 p.m. and the weather in New York City is 53 degrees Fahrenheit, 12 degrees Celsius. Hello and welcome to another episode of Twin Peaks Peaks. My name is Ashley Brandt. My name is Matthew Olson. Hello. We're back uh, again. It's Yeah, I was going to say it's been a minute once again. I'm sure people are used to hearing that in our intro by now. It's become part of the intro, yeah. You know, An we're just gonna keep of how lazy we are. <laughs> we're just gonna keep building intros and outros and recurring phrases until that's the entire podcast. Yeah, a very Jesus and Miro type move. Yeah, <laughs> um, we're back to talk about Twin Peaks. Maybe today, even a little, a little bit of actual Twin Peaks discussion. Uh, but you know what? We're all here to to really dig into is the weather reports that David Lynch is still doing in, in quarantine. Um, they're, they're still going up on YouTube every day, plus the plus the number of the day. Though I, I will admit to not having actually pulled up one of those in quite a while. I mean, you are definitely keeping better track than me and in, in driving this segment for sure. I mean, some, some observations off, off the top here from the last time we recorded. Uh, David has moved to a different room in his house. Uh, to record the weather reports he has started to talk a little bit he started to get off topic a little bit more and i feel like part of that might be motivated by the fact that it doesn't sound like it's actually like regular sunny time in la this this uh this fall winter season we're in he started talking about music he started to like kind of share what's on his mind more almost like he's becoming a real vlogger which i don't know how i feel about um Ashley, how do you feel about getting an actual, a, a seemingly genuine peek behind the curtain at what, just what's on David's mind that day? I mean, I, you know, who am I to re- look a gift horse in the mouth and refuse, you know, that precious bit of insight? But also, David has a great taste in music, as we learned during the return. Yes. I mean, uh, as, as we'll get to uh, later on when we talk about some actual theatrically released work of his uh in this episode you know just impeccable taste for music though i will say i got i gotta say this i have a list pulled up here you can find it because of course this is the website that would do such a thing uh on brooklynvegan.com there is a list that someone has made on spotify of all the songs david has mentioned on the weather report so far well you got some odd entries in here one you got crazy clown time which is a song that he wrote love (laughs) that little bit of self-promo but then okay you got take five from the dave brubeck quartet which uh, famously appeared in uh the return uh during the dougie dougie breakfast scene um and then you get some like okay when when i say chris isaac uh we all think our our boy uh, agent chester desmond but of course chris isaac you know has his whole fucking music career uh and has i don't know if he's a one hit wonder but he has a hit that is like his big hit wicked game oh wicked game yeah oh my god i i really got into it after um fk twigs posted a video of her pole dancing to that song terrific song but as the song that david's gonna bring up on the weather report it's a little bit like do you do you only listen to chris's hits like (laughs) is i feel like if you're gonna i feel like if you're gonna you know bring up a, a song from a personal friend you got to pick a deep cut or am i or am i just not being genuine enough i don't know i think wicked games is 
just that good. It it also I think is pretty different from a lot of his other music. Not like incredibly different, but I did after I watched um that video of FK Twigs pole dancing to Wicked Games, I tried to listen to more of Chris Isaac's music and none of it was hitting the same. Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe it was just a Wicked Game kind of day. I will another one that comes out to me here is Fade Into You by Mazzy Star. Great song, but also I'm just like I have a hard time picturing david listening to that and just vibing to it i don't know i don't know what it is <laughs> like the bob dylan stuff the, the the old zeppelin the the beatles hits on here from fucking uh even strawberry fields like i get it um that's that's what's up with david's weather reports they're still going they're still chugging along well thank god for that thank god how else am i gonna know what the weather's like in la i think i i, I mentioned wanting to keep a running tally of how the numbers are going but um brooklyn vegan please make the article please please put up the uh, distribution of how the random number of the day is going because i will click and i will give you that hit <laughs> um yeah i i would say if it wasn't for some other news that we have to discuss uh that the uh david lynch youtube uh culture industry uh ha- has died down a little bit not in terms of him actual actually putting out videos but in terms of him being talked about occasionally you'll get some weird things or offshoots not weird things but uh the other day on the 27th he wished a happy birthday to producer sabrina sutherland so there are some like unexpected things but now i just feel like people are used to it like oh right david lynch is just doing his thing on youtube but we might we might not be able to um enjoy this vlogging period of his much for much longer because uh he and sabrina are working on something david lynch is apparently working on a series for netflix the working title is wisteria and we have very little other information at this time very very little the extent to what we do know slash has been rumored uh outside of the pages of production weekly is that uh it is set to begin production in may 2021 uh it is going to be filming at Calvert Studios in LA, which according to the fine folks at welcometotwinpeaks.com, uh, Peter Dom, uh, that was uh, a location where part of the return was filmed. So I'm imagining some uh, not Pacific Northwest interiors, probably some LA or sorry, not even LA, Vegas stuff was probably filmed on those uh, stages. There was a Reddit user named Can't Have It uh, who seemed to have some information about this back in February 2020, uh, referred to the Wisteria working title back then, so either just wild, crazy guess or right on the money, mentioned a $85 million budget for 25 one-hour-long episodes. So if that's true, <sighs> longer wow. than the return. Okay. The same user later added it could also be 13, quote, mini-movies, or anything between 13 and 25 for that matter. (laughs) And that production was planned for 200 shooting days in L.A., which is a long time. Um, God. So if any of that, if if even part of that is true, it, um, it implies that there's a lot coming, which is great. Other things we don't know yet, any other collaborators working with David on this? any potential connections to things he's released in the past i'm not gonna sit here and be like i hope it's more twin peaks but i'm gonna say right now i'm not convinced it can't be that uh though i would say you might hope that mark frost would be involved if so yeah what what, what's 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 your feeling on this ashley do you want 13 mini movies do you want 25 
potentially unrelated hour-long episodes, you know, like anthology style? Do you want just how much money is enough money for Netflix to throw at David Lynch? I mean, that's a shit ton of money. Um, I like Netflix is really well known for just throwing money at people and at creators, not necessarily in the long term, but for, you know, one to three seasons, they will throw money at pretty much any creator. Um, but at the same time, we don't see 25 episode long seasons coming out of those deals necessarily. Um, so this is pretty, I think, unprecedented. Like this is very much Netflix, in my opinion, just writing a blank check. Um, almost the numbers are almost so large that you want to call bullshit on it. But at the same time, we know from the return that this is very much how David works. It's exciting. Like I think I think he's gonna get to do whatever he wants to do. Um and I don't I don't know. I don't I don't even feel the need to like speculate as to what form that will take. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, it seems very unlikely at this point that he would just do that this project will actually turn out to be just a movie or to be a limited series in the sense of like it's eight to ten episodes or something like we also know at this point i don't think he's gonna get out of bed in the morning to direct anything that's not 12 hours long i don't know like somewhere between finishing uh inland empire having that recording uh that, that interview done of him where he's like people shouldn't fucking watch movies on their phone and then actually making the return it seems like david has come around to digital being a good thing for cinema if only insofar as it means he can shoot more and longer with less hassle and make ideas that are just big because again this is why the return almost didn't happen was because showtime was like what if you did half as much and he said fuck you (laughs) so (laughs) i feel like probably what happened is that if this does turn out to be like 25 episodes netflix was like do you want to do another 18 of something you know different or whatever and he was probably like "Mm, let's do more this time yeah, I don't know if it's worth speculating on what it's going to be, though. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, we're probably going to see a lot of familiar faces, probably some familiar images and themes. My my intuition on this would honestly be that they, they being Netflix, probably want to do with David Lynch what they've done with David Fincher, which is, you know, kind of give him a license to make whatever he wants on their platform. So, you know, I think... When, whenever this project is done, I don't know that we would see a new $85 million, 25 episode deal if that's, you know, actually what the details of this are. But I do think this is opening a door to seeing more David Lynch movies on Netflix. Um, I don't want to say limited series because we know David is not interested in that. But I think we could see something very similar to what David Fincher has done vis-a-vis House of Cards um, and then Mindhunter and now Mank. Uh, one other note here from the Welcome to Twin Peaks article, again, Peter Dom does all this stuff way better than us, um, is that uh, there was a casting call for the, quote, the lead of a new David Lynch film uh, on Recapped.com uh, in 2020 uh, that was looking for an actress with dark hair in her mid to late 20s that was later uh, revised to 30s, uh, and that the only other thing, so dark hair, woman, tasteful nudity required, and it's like, yep, that tracks for pretty much Absolutely. anything you might expect from <laughs> from a David Lynch lead and 
also tracks with as uh, Joel Bacco, a uh, friend of the show, um, observes. It, it would I would be shocked to find out that David was making a new project with a male lead at this point in his career, given the arc of how the stories he seems to be interested in telling in film and television have gone. Um, like, yeah, ostensibly, okay, Dale Cooper season three is the lead, but we're still on this whole other iteration of a story that is about Laura Palmer. Uh, and of course ends being wholly about Laura Palmer. I guess what I'm saying is, this is a long way of saying, I don't need to be thinking this is going to be Twin Peaks part four or something for me to be excited about it because I also know that no matter what, you know, if this does knock on wood, see the light of day, doesn't get, you know, um, killed in production, it's going to be along the lines, along the same thematic lines for sure, just because there's just so much shared material between all David's stuff that I'm excited for it. Uh, cautiously so like it's not like the return was perfect at all at all points but you know if it's something brand new it also make it less sad if the netflix kills it i guess uh it would it would suck if it turned out to be part four and then netflix like was like nah, but no yeah i mean i i don't think that this is gonna get killed necessarily i do think i i really think it's gonna be fincher like i really think that they're just gonna give him kind of a license to do um whatever he wants and honestly the thing that might um the thing that might limit him is his own ambition at a certain point kind of the way Mindhunter was all set up for season three and then David Fincher just ran out of time and interest yeah I also I also think that you know Netflix has canceled a ton of stuff that had already been renewed because you know quote-unquote COVID you know production problems but Greenlighting this amid canceling all of those productions to me says that Netflix is pretty committed to this idea. God, God willing, things will be different come May. The other thing I'm frankly worried about is just like, please, David, yes, make make more stuff, but also stay safe. You're you're up there. Truly, oh my God. <laughs> if we've learned one thing from everything that has proceeded with production during this time, uh, it's that uh. You can have all the safety measures in the world you want, but like it's not necessarily going to be. You can't close everything off. You can't be, you know, hermetically sealed like that. Um, that's yeah. That's th I think the ongoing frustrating thing about people trying to like uh, say that they can do these sort of things safely in the era of COVID, because even if you have a set that's you know abiding by all of these safety regulations and you have a covid health and safety coordinator on set or whatever everyone on that crew has to go to the grocery store or run errands or lives in a building with neighbors like every single person you introduce into an environment like that just carries an inherent degree of risk that is yeah. compounding on the set of these giant productions Short of doing a full NBA or Great British Bake Off bubble, yeah, because uh, I guess those were were indeed pretty airtight. And to be to be real, if there if that was the setup, if it was like David and all these people are going to be locked in this studio, nobody comes in, nobody goes out. I would want to see what comes out of that. It'd probably be oh, like, one hundred percent. Probably be ten times as fucky as Inland Empire. So. Yeah, I mean, you know. You know, we'll we'll keep the listeners updated with things as this happens. And if it comes to fruition, which I guess at this point would be earliest like 2022, God knows what that's going to look like. But, you know, 
would we do a podcast about it? Yeah, probably. I would be more inclined to do a podcast about it if and this is something I do want to have happen. I want this to be a weekly release schedule or something like that. I don't want it all at once. I don't want the Netflix dump. I don't want to be binging through because that was the, one of the best parts about the return, you know, was doing this yeah. podcast and getting to have the shared experience of watching it bit by bit. You know, the thing that we didn't have in the 90s because we were little babies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. That's my piece. Please release it weekly, Netflix, if you're listening. Another show that came out this past year that I really enjoyed watching week by week was Watchmen. I think that mm-hmm. like the entire time that show was airing, it felt like people were talking about it every single week. Like every single Monday, I would come in and my coworkers and I would all talk about Watchmen. And I, you know, had that had all nine episodes released at once, we would have gotten maybe two weeks of good Watchmen discourse out of it before that show faded away. Um, it feels weird in 2020 to be advocating for weekly releases but sometimes it's the right move i think it's often the right move and people will complain then about like oh streaming's just reinventing fucking network tv and there's it's like yeah this was the obvious end point like if you didn't see netflix starting to produce you know original series and dropping full seasons as like just purely an attention grab move that was always going to result in in this end game where it's just like yep it's just like cable again it's like well yeah Cable was around for a long past time and worked okay because it like it helped uh, the things that were really good on it breathe. I mean, I think I mentioned this on a previous episode, but I'm finally and 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 I don't know where you're at in your watch, but I'm finally watching through Sopranos, and we're not watching more than two, maybe three episodes in a sitting with that. Like we're taking our sweet time with it, and I feel like it, it was both you know as i said a business move to try and steal attention away from from networks and be like oh here's here's a benefit to streaming you can watch it all at once you can watch it at your own pace and the thing is like most people want to just watch it sort of gradually they don't want to just like tire themselves the fuck out on it and like do i do i regret having watched season four of arrested development practically all in one sitting yeah i do now because it it didn't help me see the faults in it as clearly as I can see after the fact, you know, things like that. I, I agree. And I, I also think that it's not, I think that there are some things that, that do benefit from a full season drop. I think that like some, some of these like limited series that drop on Netflix, I think, you know, a full season drop is, is fine and good. And I think that some, some comedies, like I, I think honestly, I would have really enjoyed if um, difficult people had dropped all at once on Hulu. It was a little frustrating that it was week after week. But I do think uh, like a Sopranos or a Watchmen or a Twin Peaks absolutely benefits from that week of breathing room in between. I I also just mainlined two seasons of Attack on Titan. So, you know. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess that's different for anime. Yeah. Um, I was trying to think, though, like, what's the last thing I binged through on Netflix? And it's probably and again, this is probably like two settings. Uh, living with yourself that paul rudd show with yeah that with the 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 conceits being like he's he's cloned himself or ended up with a clone of himself and and they're at odds with one another and that kind of felt like a thing where it's like you could have seen this be sort of streamlined and maybe punched up to be like a you know an apato film release but instead it got a little bit more breathing room as a limited series and was a thing that I just sort of had on. Like, that's the, that's the way I binge things now. It was like, if I don't have to pay full attention to this, I'll keep the episodes coming. But, you know, for us doing, especially doing the podcast, if I was just going, zooming through the return, 
I, I would have not been able to formulate anything close enough to as, as I'm rambling now, as you can tell working off the top of my dome, anything worth listening to in terms of my thoughts on it. I'm, I'm sure, especially if Wisteria turns out to be a brand new thing, I'm going to need to sit with each episode, probably watch them multiple times before I even sit down to talk about them with other people, you know? Yeah, no, I, I agree. So we'll see what that does end up looking like. Yeah, years from now. <laughs> um, <laughs> on the subject of other David Lynch stuff, we've both watched some David Lynch stuff recently. Isn't that wild? Yeah, who'd have thunk? We've definitely talked about doing that for like eight months, something like that. And here we are. However, did we watch the same movie? No, we did not. No, we did not. So I... um. Oh, this was something we were going to talk about, and then we left it out of our um, our pre-show notes. Because yes, listeners, if you've made it this far, 20-something minutes into this, we do still try to talk about what we are going to discuss before we hit record. I got a shiny new PS5. Sadly, <laughs> David Lynch did not create an ad for this console like he did with the PS2 and the uh, the third place advertisement, which if you've not seen it, I'm sure we've maybe discussed it once or twice on the show before. But some, it got um, repopularized on Twitter uh, with the launch of the PS5. And someone pointed out, like, there's a lot of visual similarities between this ad and things that pop up again in the return. And I'll just leave it at that. Like, they're hella are. So the third place ad, PS2, go find that. Um, and Sony, pay David to make more ads, please. I have the PS5. It has a 4K Ultra Blu-ray drive. It's the first 4K drive I've ever had. I got a stack of Criterions, which are all 4K transfers down to 1080p. So they should be nicer, in theory, than most regular Blu-rays, but they're still the same standard. And then uh, among that, I have uh, now Elephant Man and Blue Velvet are my two new David Lynch movies. And then I have two 4K discs, which are Phantom Thread and Blade Runner. Ugh, Phantom Thread. I'm afraid that when I watch either of them, I, I love both of those films so dearly. Like, I'm afraid that if I watch Phantom Thread or if I watch Blade Runner in 4K, it's going to ruin the stack of all the other criterions I need to get through. Oh, my um, God. <laughs> just be like, oh, the vision. Is, I, can't, I can't make out the wrinkles from my couch, you know. But I watch Blue Velvet, and... One, the Blue Velvet Criterion is gorgeous. It's a gorgeous transfer of that film. Um, it I don't think I'd seen Blue Velvet since the time that we saw it together, possibly. Oh, wow. Turns out that film's still fucking great. I really don't have anything too intelligent to say about it. Um, if you have any questions about, you know, things I noticed watching it this time, I, I, I'd love to answer them. But off the top of my head, I was just like, I just had a great fucking time. And I it, it validated the, whole, the decision to buy the whole stack of movies because I've also got... Uh, what I've got Repo Man, my own private Idaho in there, and I'm just like, this Ooh, is I need my own just, private Idaho. I just need to watch some good films I know are good um over this like horrible shut in winter. But yeah, Blue Velvet. That's that's the one I watched. I don't know. I mean I still I still love the scene with Dean Stockwell singing into the, the handheld lamp that just happened to be on set. I still love pretty much everything about it. Yeah, I um I actually watched Blue Velvet a while ago because it was on my top 100 list which I'm still working through. And actually that ended with Blue Velvet just falling off of my list, not because it's Whoa. like a bad 
well not because it's a bad movie by any means like all of these movies that i'm watching are good movies by definition but in the sense of like what is near and dear to my heart you know as i was watching blue velvet i was like i understand like we don't get twin peaks without blue velvet we don't get mulholland drive or you know i see i see its importance in um david lynch's filmography but at the same time like the I'm more interested in the way that those themes and that imagery um, was explored in Fire Walk With Me and Mulholland Drive. And I ended up rewatching Fire Walk With Me earlier today, uh, right before we started recording this podcast. And let me tell you, Fire Walk With Me slaps so hard. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, is, is that your, your prime takeaway? Yeah. Um, I did notice two things that I hadn't noticed before. And you tell me if I am just blind and hadn't been paying attention or I don't, I don't know, maybe, maybe you didn't see these either, but, um, you know, I love fire walk with me because it's just all of the fucking weird shit from the series, uh, laid over Cheryl Lee's incredible performance as Laura, uh, on top of some just like really beautiful scenery. I think we see way more of the Pacific Northwest, like, beautiful clear summer skies um in the movie than we do in the series and um, for sure because this was actually all filmed up there as opposed to the series which is like exterior shots that they collected and then everything's sound stages in la or just out in california which is a which is a very different kind of sunlight and outdoors yeah the the, the like the horizons and like the sunset over the tra- over, over the trailer park um, and the mountains in the background, just all incredible. Uh, but the two things I noticed were really small. So one was um, the people above the convenience store. Um, a lot of them are actually holding this little twig. Um, it's more like a little branch than a twig. But the um, the man in the red suit with the, the white mask, what's does he have a name? I can't remember. I'm really showing that he I'm not. He has a name. The jumping man, like, is that it? It might be Jumping know. Man. There, there's some fan name for him or maybe name that was pulled from the script. But but the man in, in the red suit, uh, when they first cut to the scene above the convenience store, he's talking and he's holding the stick. And then later, when we see um, the Chalfont child um, at the hotel or the motel where Leland um, kind of pussies out of having a foursome with his daughter... Uh, we see the Chalfant child like running around the parking lot a bit uh, and he's holding the stick then and I didn't notice whether or not he was holding it uh, when he and his grandmother gave Laura the painting in the parking lot the double R but it really seemed to me like that was in a way setting up the um, the tree in the return actually did you notice that hmm. before? I've noticed the sticks in the convenience store and, and now that you say it I, I, I... Yeah, the, the the bit at the hotel. I, the way you phrased it, phrased it pussied out. <laughs> I would I wouldn't know if I would use the same term to describe that that uh, scene there. But uh, yeah, the the Chalfont boy kind of fades in. They kind of do the fade in, fade out of him, right? Just kind of prancing, and yeah, yeah, and like jumping around. Stick. But I've never, I've never tried to. Because now that you're saying it, like, well, if he has it and the folks above the convenience store have it, obviously there's, like, a link there. But also the idea of just, like, carrying around wood almost as, like, a divining thing or as, like, a, a, a communication thing obviously brings to mind uh, Margaret, the log lady. Yeah, totally. The tree, 
so this is actually to to go back to that point about the PS2 ad, um, the arm turning into a tree, which on one sense we can explain very easily for ourselves as David needed to come up with something to replace this actor who kind of lost his mind and hated David's guts. Um, yeah. There's that weird thing. Uh, I think it's it might be the cover to one of David's albums, that sculpture he made that's basically just like a twig with some like mushed up clay or like meat substance for a head that looks very similar uh, yeah. to the final form of the arm. So there's like, you know, there's clear visual precedence for David having this, you know, this sort of idea he keeps returning to. But even in that PS2 ad, there's an arm that uh, I believe it might fly off of the, the the main character, quote unquote, of the ad. That in the last shot of it, there's like these, you know, figures, like one's bandaged up, one's, I think, got a duck for a head or a duck's head um, sitting on this couch. And then next to the couch is this arm that's like kind of coming up out of the floor Ooh. like it's a tree. Wow. So... He just he just fucking loves that shit, and that's a, and that that's a th- one of the things where I was like, "Holy shit!" This stupid ad for a video game console is basically the return in thirty seconds. Yeah, wow. So like all you all, all you needed was a Naomi Watts, and it would have sealed the deal. Yeah. Um, wow, wow. Well, I had two uh, two other observations. The other thing I noticed, really small thing, is kind of like in the final sequence of images when Laura is in the train car, um, and Leland is there, and everything horrible is happening um there is a close-up on a face kind of bathed in blue light that doesn't really look human and i realized that it looks like um a monkey face uh like the um the short film that david released on netflix what was that called again what did Uh, jack do what did jack do it looks like the monkey from what did jack do um but maybe without fur sort of um, I need to like go back and compare, but it looked very similar. Yeah, I've never, I don't know if I've ever noticed the monkey in that scene, but there is the shot, I guess it's it earlier in the film of the monkey and it whispers Judy. And frankly, yeah. I just don't, I, that's one of those things where I just don't know what the monkey is supposed to fucking mean. <laughs> I'll, I'll yeah. just, I'll just, you know, hang, hang myself out there to dry like that. I really don't know. And, even the Jow Day explanation at the end of the return, I'm still just like, is that it though? Have I ever discussed my my stupid thing that my brain put together one time? One time actually while we were Ashley uh, in college um, as 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 a group of students listening to Stop Making Sense at a party. You must have told me, but please remind me. It's Found a Job, right? That's the song where it's uh, making up their own shows. That might be better oh. than TV. Yes. Think of Bob and Judy. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah, okay, like, yeah. Now, to be clear, I don't think David Lynch has ever fucking talked about talking heads once in his life. I don't know if there's any common ground there. Um, listeners, if if you know of something, uh, if, if, if David Lynch has ever been like, yeah, I really love that song, Found a Job, that would validate years of my stupid uh, psychosis here. But I, I can't now hear that song without thinking about Leland and Sarah. Especially, especially after the return. That's a, yeah, that's um, that's a good point. That's a very good point. It's the, not um, really though. It's two. It's two very common names used in two things that I happen to like. I mean, is that is that not like a connecting thread in a lot of David's things? Is just images and sounds that he likes. 
That's true. That's very true. Um, the other thing I noticed that I was thinking about during a lot of this Watch of Fire walk with me actually is how great Moira Kelly is as Donna. Like, I think she's okay. really, really good. Controversial, and- controversial take here. I know, I know, but let, let me, let me, let me contextualize it here. I think that Moira Kelly could not have done Donna in the TV series, but I don't think Lara Flynn Boyle could have done Donna in Firewalk with me. I think they end up just being two different characters or two different people. But I think what Moira Kelly's doing in Fire Walk With Me works really well for that specific film. When I was saying controversial take, and I'm sorry to, to have butted, butted in with that, I didn't mean what you were saying. What I it meant what I was about to say, which is that Moira Kelly is the better Donna. And I feel like, <laughs> to your point, I think it's... And we talk, if you go back to the episodes that we recorded on our watch through of seasons one and two, like, I don't know if I ever phrased it this way. I probably was just like, fucking Donna. Can you believe this? Donna. Jeez, Donna. Is that they, it feels like they never really knew to the point where you get a couple episodes into the series and they bring in Cheryl as Maddie um, to make the, the Maddie, Donna, James dynamic interesting. Is that Donna feels like a character that kind of existed in the soap opera sense in the sense that twin peaks was like a soap opera or was a takeoff uh from a soap opera basis into a more interesting stranger place but never really (laughs) never really cohered together as a character that i personally found all that interesting uh or that seemed to be all that consistent (laughs) maybe that's a jerk thing to say but you know and is i don't think it's any fault of laura flynn boyles but it's just like what does Donna do in the show besides, you know, get into trouble based on things that happened after Laura's death? Like, what does Donna want other than things that Laura wanted? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that that's all true. I I personally can't imagine the series with Moira Kelly's Donna because that whole soap opera where Donna, you know as a character is conducting herself as though she's the protagonist like i think changing that character would fundamentally change that entire aspect of the series and like is it as interesting as the weird roads that the rest of the series is going down no but i think it to me is just like it's a fundamental piece of it and it's sort of part of the weird fun camp and kitsch that maybe allowed it to be on primetime tv in the early 90s you know if this if god forbid there was ever a remake like i would absolutely want moira kelly's donna but again like i just i don't think that they're interchangeable and i think they work in different ways they, they definitely work in different ways what i'll say about this to try and like formulate my thoughts on donna in the series more is that if there's if there's a lead character it's not dale it's not Laura in her absence, then it's Audrey's show. It's not Donna's show because Audrey is the the, the breakout star, uh, basically, and has the more interesting plot lines, even through the gross, like not fun to watch off the rails parts of season two. Meanwhile, you get Donna and James doing their whole fucking cavorting once James runs off. Like it makes Audrey being not part of the return in a big way, really frustrating. Um yeah. So, yeah, it it just feels like the writers are more interested in doing more for Audrey than they ever are for Donna. I totally agree with you. And at the same time, Lara Flynn Boyle's performance is just in total conflict with that. Like every single scene that she is in, Donna 
is presenting herself as the main character. You you know what I mean, and like I think that's right. just like yeah, an do, element of the show at a certain point, for for better or for worse. Yeah, well, I think that then leads to what we were, how we were complaining about Donna five years ago, or at least how I was, where it's just like this isn't your show, Donna. This show is about Laura. This show is about Laura, your dead friend. And sometimes you're like, oh, my friend's dead. And then sometimes you just seem like you disrespect the shit out of her memory. Um, yeah, for real. <laughs> but Moira Moira Kelly's Donna did, I think, do a good job of like setting up um some of donna in the series like the donna james relationship i think moira kelly set that up really well actually yes um because retroactively they had to kind of i think do a lot to justify that but but they succeeded in that way um and i think she's just she was a delightful screen presence and honestly i wish they would have brought moira kelly back in the return a wonderful scene partner for cheryl for sure, one hundred. I mean, I think yeah. I think about the scene where they're in the roadhouse with those two gross men, and one of them looks very much like Connor O'Malley. I think about it every time I watch that movie now. Oh my god! Um, uh, and like the the stare that she just gives when she takes the drink and is like, like I'm gonna go down this path with you, and Cheryl with just this withering glare of like, okay, Donna, like let's go. Um, I I don't doubt that. Laura Flynn Boyle could have played some version of the scene, but the version of the scene we have is fucking great. Um, so yeah, uh, Firewalk with Me. I should watch it again. I have that on on Blu-ray as well, but uh, I don't. I don't think there's a 4K one of that. I think there's been a restoration, but I don't think you can get the stupid. The, the other okay to complain about streaming a little bit more. Sure. I looked because we were we were talking about I wanted to watch uncut gems and I was like they don't have they don't have the 4K Blu-ray of that but I could pay Netflix like ten extra dollars a month to stream in 4K which is bullshit um, but it feels like there are so many more movies that should be you know out there on this archival quality you know stuff or that the Criterion Collection should be putting these out uh, and instead the demand is such that it's like well it's just way easier to manufacture uh and and sell these ones that aren't that quality because they're not of people who have 4k players and tvs to justify it then you end up in a situation where you have a bunch of these 4k transfers that have been put down to 1080p but like i just give me can i just buy that like dot mov or whatever it is like whatever the digital file is can i just have that please i'll pay you the money instead of paying netflix the money for the right to stream it and then like have my data cap crap out or something like i just want the movie to look as nice as possible thank you please but people think they can watch these movies on their phone and it's a fucking sadness it is a fucking sadness (laughs) um thank you for that term david uh what other things have you been watching other than Firewalk with me? Uh, well, like I was telling you before we started the podcast, I gave myself an arbitrary deadline to watch all of my top 100 movies by the end of the year and kind of like reevaluate them. Uh, and I'm in crunch time now because I have like 50, about 50 movies left to go. So That's just not, been that you can sl- do that. I, I know I can do that. It's just I definitely had time to pace this better and I didn't. Uh, but movies I've watched recently, um, The Master, Royal Tenenbaums. I actually watched a bunch of, um, Jim Jarmusch movies last week, Only Lovers Left Alive and Patterson, which were incredible. 
also The Revenant, which is a movie that I really like, even though I didn't think it was um gonna be so dear to me when I first watched it. I also watched. Uh, I wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't peg you as a Revenant liker, and that's me saying that as someone who actually hasn't seen it. So maybe I should just give it a try. Honestly, like I remember, I saw it when it first came out, kind of like amid the really intense like Oscar hype, and I really think that the the Oscar bait factor around that movie is its sort of own dimension to the experience of watching it because you know you were coming off of um you were coming off of best director and best cinematographer wins the previous year for um Inaritu and Emmanuel uh, Lubezki so for them to come back and then win the same awards the next year uh and then also get Leonardo DiCaprio his long-awaited best actor and get Tom Hardy his first you know best supporting actor nomination like there's something there was something very cloying and kind of try hard I think about the way that it was being positioned um especially with all of those like headlines leading up to the release about like uh, the way people were talking about the bear scene, the way people were talking about, or the studio was talking about how people's, you know, heart rates were going up during that scene and stuff like that. But I think when you watch the movie, it's some of Emmanuel Lubezki's like best cinematography ever. And he's, he's one of my favorites. All of his cinematography is my favorite, but it's so beautiful. The natural light, um, the soundtrack is incredible, and it wasn't um, it wasn't eligible for best score consideration, uh, which is a, a true tragedy. Um, and it's just it's visually so stunning. Um, and I think some of the more impressionistic stuff that maybe wasn't as noticed um when people were originally talking about the film but there are some more like impressionistic images that i really liked but there's also like an element of sort of kitsch to it in you know this i remember like watching it for the first time and there's this scene where so many bad things have happened to leonardo dicaprio it's sort of comic the way they keep piling on top of each other uh (laughs) this is this is like a spoiler but it's not a spoiler but there's um then there's this scene where like he he's on this horse and there are all these there's like a buffalo stamp it's not a buffalo stampede they're whatever for whatever reason he's on the horse um and he ends up just like going over this cliff on this horse and i remember just being like what the fuck like can you really justify this and you know i think the air of self-seriousness around it maybe detracts from you know whatever that experience is i'm talking a lot about the revenant right now but i've also watched um Eight and a Half, Clouds of Sils Maria, No Country for Old Men, watched a lot of Werner Herzog, so I'm really, really chugging through. I will also say Only Lovers Left Alive. Uh, really great movie. and um, I need to see that, yeah. Yeah, I put it off for a really long time. If you like Jim Jarmusch stuff and you like the sort of like ambient auto-hypnosis of his movies, it's very, very good. And something really odd that I noticed was... Um, you know, part of the movie takes place in Detroit and it was, you know, released in 2013 and Jim Jarmusch just really weirdly nailed um, what it felt like in Detroit in that time. Like the weird sort of like urban sprawl, um, the urban decay. It was, I don't it it was just startling because uh, I grew up around there and I think the last time that I was back in Detroit was probably around 2012 2013 Hmm. um 
on the on the point of Herzog, uh, I'm I'm kind of in the mood for that. I've been thinking about our man uh, again more recently because he keeps popping up in the in the previously on segments for The Mandalorian, which is a show I won't go into uh, much detail on here. I have been watching it. Uh, Love me. Uh, actually former former co-worker of mine just got a new job um mike williams described it as being very similar to like those old upn and sci-fi channel shows like a stargate or something and that it's like it's it's very it's very loosely episodic i mean you you know you you can have episodes like the one that kicks off the season with timothy oliphant who's a great guest star um where it's just like yeah monster a week like i roll in deal with this dune ass sandworm roll out um which is great it's great to have star wars that's just okay and that doesn't feel like i need to know every last thing about the universe around it or that i need to i don't know invest in it heavily hoping that some character arcs will get paid off properly and then oops a rise of the skywalker happens so um yeah that's all I'll say about it is that it's nice. It's perfectly nice. I, I watched two episodes back to back while hungover yesterday. Great, it's great hangover show. It's the perfect show for that. Oh my God. Just like getting stoned and like enjoying some baby Yoda on the screen. I know that people are probably sick of this, but like that puppet is so cute. Werner Herzog was right. I would also like to see the baby. <laughs> so yes, what, what's what's a Werner I should watch? Because I actually haven't seen. I think I saw Gire in fucking high school, and I don't know if I could name. Oh no, no. And then I also saw wonderful film, uh, Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans. Fucking amazing, <laughs> amazing fucking Nick Cage performance. Like top five oh for God. sure. I watched that movie. <laughs> Am I gonna say this? I'm not gonna say everything about my experience of watching that movie, but I was on a cabin trip with friends okay i'll say i smoke some weed um (laughs) i I was on a cabin trip with friends one group of the friends wanted to go snowshoeing the other group of friends wanted to go skiing i was not in the mood for either so i stayed in the cabin alone just smoked some weed and watched that movie because it was uh it was airbnb and this airbnb had tons of fucking dvds some of which had been bought from like a blockbuster and vhs tapes and there was fucking bad lieutenant i was like i'm gonna watch me some herzog and it was fucking fantastic so what's another one i should watch i think everyone would say grizzly man is like the peak of like herzog documentary it's highly recommend it It, it's my favorite i think of his movies um another one that i really enjoy and i think this is maybe the most the most like hangover movie-esque uh, Herzog documentary is Encounters at the End of the World. It's a lot lighter than a lot of his documentaries, but it still feels like a Herzog movie. It's a, it's just really, really pleasant to watch. And um, in Encounters at the End of the World, which is a documentary about Antarctica and about, you know, people doing kind of scientific expeditions in Antarctica. This was filmed in 2005 and released in 2008. Um, he met this Cambridge volcanologist named Clive Oppenheimer and I love this because he and Clive like became friends like he was clearly very delighted with Clive as this sort of character because everyone was um in these really intense um snowsuits and stuff like that and this guy's beard was like frozen and then there's this you know (laughs) 
guy from Cambridge with his red hair and he's wearing like a tweed scarf. Like he's a very delightful uh, on-screen character in that way. But they have made two movies together since then. Uh, One called Into the Inferno, which is about um, volcanoes and it's on Netflix. Um, It's a lot about kind of like the... um, uh, the way that we've understood volcanoes through time and through like the lenses of religions um, in places that have volcanoes um, and Clive is sort of the almost like the host um, it's actually really helpful I think to have such an accomplished scientist in that role and then um, the movie the documentary that Herzog just released on Apple TV is um, it's called Fireball and it's about meteorites uh, it's called Fireball Visitors from Dark Worlds or something like that and um Clive has a co-director credit on it, which I think is very, very nice. That's cool. Yeah. Love friendship. I'll add one or more of those to my list. The other things I still have to watch, I mentioned some of the the stack, but to round out the Criterion stack uh, that showed up on my doorstep the other day, um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which (gasps) is the last movie I saw in theaters before (laughs) all this happened. Um I d- frankly I don't know if I'm ready to watch it again that one is a real it's a real gut punch of an ending yeah um, um do you know what the last movie I saw in theaters was uh if I do I've forgotten what was it it was the assistant Ooh. yeah which was good but remains a, a really dark specter over that last non-quarantine weekend yeah um and like I said I have um I also have Elephant Man uh, to watch, uh, which I have seen. Again, the only David Lynch movie I haven't seen yet and still haven't seen yet is Dune. Um, but I've only seen Elephant Man once, so I'm looking forward to giving that a rewatch. And um, then last in the stack is Parasite, because of course. Of course. Of course. Um, yeah. And I'm looking forward. I think I want to watch that, because I, I know they didn't just like slap a fucking filter on it. I know they went through and recolor graded everything, but I would love to see... Uh, how that looks in black and white because also i don't really yes. know how my tv handles black and white stuff so i want to make sure i calibrate it well for that kind of viewing experience i saw that in black and white when they did a small theater release shit i guess well should i calibrate it with parasite or since i just mentioned it should i calibrate it with elephant man um i'm not sure <laughs> uh but there you go I think, yeah i think those end up looking very different like things that were shot in black and white versus things that were shot on digital and then color graded to black and white for sure and i should bust out my um my eraser head blu-ray yeah because i don't think Um, i think that's just sat on my shelf since i got it um because because i had gone and seen that actually back when you could go see movies at theaters they were doing that um that retrospective of david's at ifc and i impulse bought a ticket and then immediately like ran for the train to go go watch it there alone which was a great experience but then i like got the blu-ray shortly after and haven't needed to rewatch it since but i'm ready to see the freaky baby again absolutely um have you seen the black and white version of mad max fury road no i have not and let me tell you top of list when i was like i'm gonna get myself a stack of movies for this long long winter was like i should get the 4k of uh mad max fury road and i'm gonna uh you might hear the clacky clack on my keyboard right now but i'm just gonna see if this is still true um i was ordering of course criterions off of um off of the barnes and noble sale i'd i'd like to try to avoid using amazon as much as possible but i was like yeah 
maybe I'd do it for Mad Max 4K. And um, that is listed at $40. 4K Oof. Mad Max is $40. Uh, and I think that does come with the black and white version. Maybe it doesn't. Because if it doesn't, then you're looking for some kind of fucking steelbook version that costs even more. Um, I'm seeing. I guess I'm seeing something cheaper here. I don't know if it's a region free version for twenty two bucks, but like every other one I got was like max twenty bucks, and I was like, I, I I love Mad Max. I'm not gonna pay twice as much as I'm paying for these other movies for it. Um, but I, I trust you've probably seen that. You've you've probably seen the black and white version multiple times now. Is it is it good? Yeah, it's really good. It's really beautiful. Um. There is um, a video on YouTube. Someone actually took the original, the original movie and just desaturated it down to black and white, and then put it next to um, the same scenes from Black and Chrome, and you can see that they, you know, deepen the blacks and increase the highlights and stuff like that. So you can kind of see the way that they um, color graded it for black and white uh, instead of just desaturating it. It's really gorgeous, and um, I actually watched the Black and Chrome version on acid on new year's day this past year (laughs) and let me tell you my thought process behind this because i had come back from a party and i was still on acid and um i was like what am i gonna do now that i'm home alone and very tired and on acid and i was like well i should bring in the new year by watching my favorite movie and i was choosing between black and chrome and um the colored version and i felt at the time like um seeing you know the the vivid colors of the regular version was going to be the best experience uh for my acid trip however the colors because i was on acid ended up looking so saturated that it felt not quite two-dimensional but something like that like the the artifice of the movie was like becoming evident to me in my acid trip anyway so i i started over and watched uh the black and chrome version on acid and it was so beautiful oh my god highly recommend that experience for myself speaking wholeheartedly smoke some weed and watch bad lieutenant the 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 herzog one it's great um (laughs) Uh, i will i definitely i bad lieutenant had not been high on my list before this but it it is now well this has been twin peaks peaks we've gone for about an hour i don't know what it'll be after i cut some of my long-winded shit out of it but uh thank you if you've made it this far if you've been listening if you're still subscribed to the feed uh for keeping up with us again who knows how much information is going to trickle out about this wisteria thing but uh so long as we're still in lockdown and still doing this occasionally we will uh we will keep this feed the one to to watch uh for any news on that front um otherwise you know as as we would do back in the old days closing out the show telling you where to find us on social media uh, I will say you can find me at Matthew Olson on Twitter. Uh, that's M-A-T-H-E-W-O-L-S-O-N. And I'm doing this sort of preamble for this this time to say, hey, um, I'm going to be unemployed soon unless I manage to land a job here. My, uh, my job at usgamer.net is going away, sadly, at the end of the year. I can say that now. And I am looking. So on the off chance that someone here uh is listening and knows of a good opportunity for someone who can write and who knows maybe not an encyclopedic amount about twin peaks uh but a good amount and things like that podcasting 
all that stuff. Any kind of opportunity in that regard? Well, you know, I'm on Twitter. You know what my Twitter handle is. It's just my name. So maybe give me a follow and uh, point me in the direction of anything helpful you know. Uh, on a similar note, if you love listening to my stupid voice say stupid things about things that are smart or fun or entertaining, uh, I will be a guest on uh, Acts of the Blood God, which is U.S. Gamers' RPG podcast hosted by our editor-in-chief, Kat Bailey. Uh, that episode should be going up. I'm going to try to get this episode up on Monday, uh, November 30th, so that should be up the same day. And uh, yeah, we play some some video game trivia, and I do not embarrass myself during it. I'll say that much. Um, so if you want to hear me talk about video games instead of movies and TV shows, you can get a little taste of that there. Please give Matt a job. He deserves one. Please give me a job. <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, anywhere else I want to be found on the internet at Ashley Brandt. And um, don't forget to brush your teeth, Harriet.